Hey, my name's Nathan, and you are on the Watermark Equipping webinar. I'm going to orient you guys to your control panel because that'll kind of help you. Uh, it'll just enhance the experience for you. And then also, we'll we'll uh, bounce it over to some of our other people that are in the room with us right now. So you should see on your screen the PowerPoint presentation that we'll go through today. You can track along with your screen. But then also, if you'll check out uh, a couple of things, one is the questions tab that's about halfway down your control panel. And that's going to be a way for you to interact with us. We would love, we, we actually built in time into this equipping webinar specifically to interact with your questions. So we have someone in the studio with us today, Sylvia Bateman, who's going to be mon moderating those questions. Please, please uh, take the time as you are listening to this to um, interact with us. We'd love to, to do that. And then also there's a handout tab below that is the that has two things. One is an apologetics handout. That's that's something you can print off that uh, will some of it will coincide with some of the things we'll be talking about. Other parts of it are uh, we may not get to. That's just something you can reference. And then the last part is the principles of apologetics PDF. That's uh, those are the slides we're going to be going through. So if you're in your office or you're with someone and you can print that off and take notes, that's uh, set up in such a way that there's three slides on a page and you can take notes out to the side. So. That being said, this is an audio only webinar. I know we've gotten a lot of feedback from people. It's like, hey, we'd love to see you. And I mean, frankly, we all kind of, well, we're not dressed up. We got up, the messy so, bun on today. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and so this is audio only. So don't try to look at us. Uh, we can't see you either. So, and I, I would refer you to uh, Watermark's website, watermark.org forward slash equipping. The, the landing page is on that page. And the past webinars we've done with Blake Holmes on principles for growth and Justin Bass on the essentials versus non-essentials and Steve Porter and Scott Burns on discipleship. And then this one, those are all going to be on there for you to go back and listen to as well. Those, uh, man, use those up, refer them to your friends, push them out to people. We'd love to continue to be a resource in any way that we can. So that being said, I'll push it over to Nika and I could take it on. Yeah. So I just want to introduce the team. And that was Nathan talking to you. And he's the director of equipping and apologetics here at Watermark. So Nathan, you're a professional baseball player. What's your walk-up song? <laughs> uh, I'm a, I mean, the one we just played was pretty cool um, <laughs> for sure. It's, yeah. But that's Sylvia's. Um, but no, I used to, I'm, I'm kind of a, my childhood was, was just fraught with Rocky four, which I think Rocky four is one of these movies that like, I think literally like changed the world. It like ended the cold war. <laughs> so true historian. anyway, yeah. Right. But, uh, but no, the eye of the tiger, if you can't like, if you can't get fired up and hit one out of the park after you've listened to Eye of the Tiger, there's, I think, something fundamentally wrong with you. So right, fair that's what enough. I would say. Yeah. Fair enough. And then Sylvia, who will be jumping in as you guys have questions or just insight and things like that. And she is the stewardship and equipping coordinator here at Watermark. And so, Sylvia, same question to you, but I think our, our viewers at home just got a taste of your song. Yeah, and so we'll make sure to attribute that to Fort Minor so we don't get sued. I don't know if that's even a thing. <laughs> I know, right? That's <laughs> but yeah, problem. Fort Minor, remember the name. It also is my pre-interview song. 
So, okay. Um, All right. Did you did you listen to that before you interviewed here at Watermark? You know, I think maybe I started listening to something holier, but I don't know if there <laughs> okay. is such a thing before uh, <laughs> consulting. You know, yeah, the big yeah. gigs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and I am Nike Spalding, director of women's equipping and curriculum here at Watermark, and um, I'd probably pick Beyonce, Girls Who Runs the World, yeah. something like that. Uh, but hey, we are so excited to have you here today. Uh, just to set the tone for today's conversation, when you hear that you're going to hear. A webinar about apologetics, a lot of times you'll think it'll be content heavy, content rich. Um, what are the answers to the questions people have? And today's actually a little bit different. Today's less so about the content and the answer to those questions. We may not even may not even bring that content. Today's more about the finesse. How do you go about having a conversation of this nature? How do you go about loving um, somebody in this way? And so I, one of the verses that I think will hopefully be the overarching thing that you'll feel from us today it comes from first corinthians 13 and verses one through three and paul just writes to the church in corinth he says if i speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if i have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries of knowledge and i have not faith so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and deliver up to my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And I would just add to that. If you are content rich in apologetics and yet you do not love, um, then then really you lack what is essential to to be effective and to be a true minister to the Lord. And so that's what today's really about. And so um, I'll just kick it back over to Nate. We're going to go through about six principles uh, today and and hopefully get through them all. And like you said, if we don't, you know, this you'll have those handouts for you. But Nate, just go ahead and kick us off with the first one, first guiding principle. And we, you name it stone in the shoe, but why don't you let the audience know what that means? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think um, this, uh, the stone in the shoe principle is from Greg Kogel in his book, Tactics, which I would refer uh, everybody listening to uh, to that to this right now to go pick up that book. Um, it's a it's an outstanding uh, book to help us think through not just um, the right answer, but how do you effectively communicate with people who are asking tough questions. And honestly, I think that there's a lot a lot of times I see with Christians that we have this almost like savior complex where we feel like it's like it's our responsibility and we carry the weight of the burden of responsibility to like save the world. Yeah. And I've seen um, I've seen that be really unhealthy because um, if, if someone uh, if you present the gospel to someone or you are defending the faith in some way and then they walk away from you, then you feel like you failed or and there's no hope. Yeah, yeah. There's no like, yeah. you know, Oh my gosh, what, what, what did I do wrong? Like right. you carry the guilt of that with you. And, and I, I would just love to reiterate, like I, that is, that is not, there's nothing biblical about um, just the, the, the burden of responsibility to save the world is not on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. Now I do believe that the Holy spirit is moving in the world to save people, to redeem people. And that, and that that is always happening. So I view it less in terms of like, um, well, because a lot of times I'll hear it like this, man, I didn't, I didn't share the gospel with that person. And so now I'm responsible for their, yeah, their blood's on my head. Totally. And this is my fault if they don't get to heaven. Yeah, yeah, Cause I didn't, yeah. I was sitting next to her on the plane and I had that opportunity and yeah. I didn't. So now she's doomed and yeah. I failed. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to, we want to dispel that because I do think it's biblical to say that if the Holy spirit is calling you to reach out to someone or to give an, or to give it a defense or to share your faith or whatever. And you don't do that. It's not that that person's blood is now on your hands. It's just, you missed out on that opportunity to right. be used to co-labor with Christ 
um, to reach that person. So now I think we miss out on opportunities that the Holy Spirit would have us do probably pretty consistently, you sure. know, but, um, but that doesn't mean that that person is now our responsibility. They're, you know, they're, um, that's not the case. So what, what Kokel says in his book tactics is in, uh, he calls it the stone in the shoe principle. And that is if we can, if we can engage with people and talk to them in such a way that we are not just like challenging something that they're believing that's false, but introducing evidence in such, in such a compelling way that it leaves a stone in their shoe where they walk away and they're like, uh, that's going to like bother me. I need to revisit that. Then that, then that's a win for us. And so I don't, I don't we don't ever look to convert anybody. That's not, um, that's not my job. And if someone walks away, I think like the rich young ruler in the gospels, I think like Jesus let him walk away. I think we should probably feel like empathy for them and, yeah. and, and continue to pray for them, but let them go. It's not my, that you're, you are not my responsibility. You're make your own choice. But if I can be used in such a way that, that, that helps bring you to the knowledge of the truth and the Holy spirit uses that, then great. I'm all for that. But it's just in this conversation, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, if you, re- if you reject it or you don't accept Christ, I'm not going to like double that, redouble my efforts and then come at you harder. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, release you. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to hopefully uh, interact with you in such a way that, that you're going to be intrigued enough to want to come back and talk to me more about this in the future, which frankly just continues to build that relational dynamic. That's so crucial for yeah. personal apologetics. Yeah. You know, when I, I've had the privilege of hearing Coco talk about this very thing. And one of the things that he said that was so impactful for me is he goes, we often, when we think about evangelism, we think about these conversations, apologetics, we always think of sowers, but in fact, there's reapers and sowers in scripture. If you using this farm metaphor that Jesus employs and we employ this idea of if, if, if sowing, if reaping this harvest of, uh, of bringing someone sort of that moment that you have that conversation when they do accept Christ and they come into the salvific knowledge of Jesus, sometimes we forget that there was a ton of sowing that happened mm-hmm. prior to that reaping, prior to that harvest. And, and so many times we think as Christians, we can believe that our only job is to reap. And if we're not mm-hmm. reaping in every conversation of this nature, then somehow we're not, we're not advancing the kingdom. We're not advancing the gospel. And in fact, that the the word of God's going to go forth and do the thing that God does mysteriously in all of our lives. And for whatever reason, whether it took 10 times of sharing the gospel before I accept, or some people, it is the first time they hear, but in each of those encounters, as we're being faithful to Christ and sowing faithfully as he leads us to, to do so, I think that's the call of faithfulness that we have to remember rather than always looking for that transactional conversation that leads to, to salvation. Totally. And that's that, I mean, just reinforces the point that it's not, it's not my responsibility to bear fruit. Yeah. The fruit bearing is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit in me as I yield to him. It is my job to yield to the Holy Spirit. And so um, but but that's a really crucial delineation there, because so many people can get into the mindset that it is my responsibility to to um, to convert that every conversation should end with someone placing their faith in Jesus. And, and if it doesn't, then that conversation was a failure yeah, or that yeah. it wasn't good enough yeah. or I did something wrong instead of just going, Hey, I had a really great conversation yeah. with somebody about something of the Lord. Totally. And that, you know, and that was, I'll trust the Lord with the results. Yeah. And it keeps us from the pressure of like you use the word transactional. I think it keeps us from the pressure of feeling like we have to push for a transaction. Yeah. But I, because Christianity is not transactional. Like this is a deeply relational, like intimate thing between God and someone who is made in the image of God. 
And so, um, I mean, the last thing we want to make it feel like, because it's not this, is that I'm a, I'm a used car salesman trying to, to close a deal, yeah. you know, and that's what Kogel really pushes back on in, in tactics is he's like, hey, it's not it's not my job to close the deal. It's my job to be a faithful servant of Christ, to love you well, to love you as someone made in the image of God, um, to respect to respect you, um, but but to speak the truth to you in love. And and so that stone in the shoe principle is, I, I think if we don't start there, then a lot of times, especially in churches that that have a strong emphasis and a healthy emphasis on evangelism, um, a lot of people can inadvertently turn it into this. I have a personal responsibility to save everybody around me. Yeah. It's like, no, you got a personal responsibility to like chill out <laughs> <laughs> and like walk with Jesus and let him use you as he sees fit. That's so, great. Yeah. You said you use the metaphor of just uh, use car salesman, which I love because when you think about that metaphor, you know, you it, sort of this that metaphor is used because you kind of always feel like, am I getting a raw deal? Do you really care about me and my family in this minivan or you just care about your sales and and, and, and I think we would say, hey, the sales. And that brings us to principle number two, that it's exactly what we don't want to be. Um, in, in these conversations, when you have the opportunity to share, or if you're answering a skeptic, we always want to value the person over the question. So, Nate, why don't you unpack that principle and let us know how you guys do that here? Yeah, I think, man, this is so crucial, especially in today's climate. I mean, just turn on the TV just over the last 10 days, you know, of all of the, the things that are going on in our world. And uh, so many people are talking past one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, what's happened, I think, in, in a lot of ways in evangelicalism, and and really, it's it's not just unique to evangelical. It's a human problem. Everybody does this. We we perceive the world a certain way, and because we perceive the world a certain way, and believe that people who perceive the world differently from us are automatically wrong and then, bad <laughs> and bad. Yeah. Then uh, then we entrench ourselves. And, and draw up defensive lines, and then we'll defend our position at all costs. And, and so and what ends up happening is, um, I'm, you know, to continue to use that kind of military metaphor is that we shoot our guns at their entrenched position, and they shoot their guns at our entrenched position, and we just end up talking that nobody is seek, actually seeking to understand. And so um, that that's why this principle is so important, because, and, and as you'll see on your screen there, the primary goal is never to answer someone's question, but so because the question is not ans- is not asking a question, a person is asking a question, and that person has has innate value and and is loved by God and is made in the image of God, and is uh, um, and is someone that that God is seeking to redeem, and so it's extremely important for us to start there. And to for that to main, kind of be the uh, motivating and driving force to to push our motivation for talking to someone, not so we can defend a position, but so that we we can interact with a person. And and that's uh, I think someone who comes to the table and and has a solid kind of outlook on this point can actually listen to someone. You can actually begin to empathize with that person. You can actually attempt to. And, and even in some level, be successful in putting yourself in that person's shoes to be like, oh, oh, now I see where you're coming from. That doesn't mean I agree with you, you know, but I am listening to you so that now and, and also just just asking, you know, people questions can be a, a, a really you know effective thing we're talking about here in a minute, but, but uh, just to let them know, like, I care about you. Yeah. <laughs> like so. And, and I'll tell you what, Nika, this is so so few people are doing this, that it's, uh, this is such a, 
an old, ancient, and yet revolutionary idea today that when, when I think when skeptics and people antagonistic to Christianity actually encounter this, it's a breath of fresh air. So I know you talked to someone, we were talking the other day about the coffee yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah. So I had a, a friend of mine who, um, just a good friend of mine, she was at a coffee shop here in Dallas and having a quiet time. And uh, and a, a guy who was probably twice her age walks right up to her and he just starts out, you don't bleeping believe this bleepingness. And as she's reading her Bible, and I mean, mm-hmm. just if you're out there, maybe you are a skeptic or maybe angry at God. That's not, that's just not a courteous way to start any conversation. <laughs> I thought I had the sensor ready to go for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, it, and obviously, and so to my friend's extreme credit, while that was so abrasive and kind of knocked her back a little bit, um, she had been trained well, uh, actually been trained under Blake Holmes, equipping director here. And and she just thought, you know, I want to have a real conversation. I don't want to just like throw a bomb back at you. And so she gave him, and this is what I don't advise doing, but hey, if the spirit leads you, she gave him her phone number. He gave her his <laughs> phone number. And then she grabbed me and we all went and had coffee. And I found, and he did the same thing when I showed, you know, he started out with all the profanity, started out with um, these conversations. But the more I just just asked him about himself and asked him about, you know, Hey man, how'd you come to these beliefs? Where are you from? Do you think your family influenced these ideas? And he, he got to, you know, probably an hour into the conversation and he just, he looked at me and no credit to me, credit to the training that I've had here um, and the spirit in me and just said, Hey, nobody talks to me like this. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, well, yeah, if you start out with dropping F bombs, yeah, no then no nobody wonder talks nobody talks to you that way. Yeah. Um, but it was such a revealing thing that here's this guy who's willing to meet back up with these two strangers to talk about things of the Bible, things of the Lord and things like that. And he's, and he's saying, nobody's ever tried to get to know me and tried to understand these things. And, um, which, and I'll even probably reference this in the next point too, that as we continue to talk, it was less about these concepts and more about just the pain in his life. And had I just, you know, he had a lot of objections and I tried to answer some, um, but in answering them also kept coming back to, Hey, who, who are you? Like, what do you do for a living? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your life. Um, because it'll help me to just remember that I care for you and not, not, not because I know you, but because you are inherently valuable because you're made in the image of God and you deserve dignity, honor and respect in this conversation, even when you're being quite vile with your language. Yeah. And what I found, too, is that as we continued on, the profanity lessened. And, you know, I mean, mine increased his. Le- you know, I'm kidding. Of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, but but I found that he started making steps towards me and as we made steps towards him and um and that was just an it was just an encouraging moment to see, hey, this principle really does work. And people really do go, hey, you this was never about the questions and it was always about him. Totally. And I think, so we've talked uh, as an equipping team before about Aristotle's on rhetoric defense, like argumentation. Um, How do you give a defense? And there's, there's kind of the the threefold uh, Aristotelian uh, argumentation model that is logos, which is reasoned argument. That's the thing where most, most of the time when people think about apologetics, they think about the lo- the logos, the knowledge, the, yeah, the content, the, right. the heady stuff. That's yeah. right. And then the the second part though is is the ethos, and the ethos is like the the goodness or the badness of the argument. So it's it's kind of the um, the ethic of it, if you want to if you want to call it that. Like yes, this is good, or no, that's not good. Um, and, and and that that's powerful too. But then that that third um, you know point on the triangle is pathos. And pathos is the, is is the emotional connection that people make to an argument. It's the it's the beauty of the argument. Um, which, frankly, I was listening to a deal just just uh, this morning. The guy was was saying like, "Hey, one of the things that Christianity has going for it 
among a bunch of other things, because we think we're actually right. And the resurrection of Jesus yeah, is yeah, probably the biggest yeah, thing we exactly. got going for us. <laughs> but but one of the things that that uh, atheism just doesn't that doesn't not they don't know how to deal with it is the beauty of the story. Mm, you know, yeah, our faith is grounded in. God who from whom all all beauty springs. And so and and I think too that that when you're engaging with people it's that it's it when you're touching on their emotion when you're touching on the pathos not in a manipulative way or in a way that's shady that I would never propagate but in an appropriate way to just be like look you're a person who yeah. God loves. Like I just uh, I was talking to Someone on uh, on Sunday night, it was at a, a Bible and Beer Consortium debate, which I would encourage everybody to go check them out. They're uh, one of the people we um, we <clears throat> partner with as an apologetics team here, um, just doing awesome things. But uh, at a debate there on Sunday night, and and uh, was able to uh, talk to this this uh, woman who's an, an atheist, and uh, and hear the the anger and the disappointment and the frustration that she had with God. And none of that fit in the in the arena of logos. It was not a reasoned. Yeah. I mean, as far as reason go, I feel like she lost the debate. But but she was. Uh, a lot of that was coming out of just a real angry place. And so, and st- like, I didn't even try to to connect with her on the reasoning level. Like that was not the right environment for that. But I was able to, you know, talk to her about the love of God. And and I think it I think it connected with her in mm. some way. That's so, great. Yeah. You know, I, if you're at home and you're want an example of this from scripture. I think Paul throughout the book of Acts, as you see him addressing different crowds, if they're Gentiles and, you know, Acts 17, then he talks mm-hmm. about their unknown yep. God, or if he's yep. talking to any, and he talks about God as this sort of creator, because many of their gods was about that. Where did we come from? How do we get there? How do we continue on? And then when he addresses Jewish or Jews of his day, then it's, it's different. He ties into the old Testament. So that's just a, as you read some of the, the longer, teachings of Paul throughout the book of Acts 17, 14, and, and other places. It'll give you an example of, of somebody doing this. And so, Nate, point two naturally just bleeds into point three. Um, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit. Well, let's just unpack it even more. It's just oftentimes what will happen is is somebody will come in, especially your great questions, which means every Monday night at 730 here at Watermark, um, or you can email greatquestions at watermark.org. And um, or just encounter somebody at Starbucks as yep. you're, you know, having a quiet time or whatever. And and what'll happen is somebody will throw a bomb of a question your way, mm-hmm. and really that that question's not the one that's aching at yep. their heart. You know, they're hey, does does God send people who take their lives to hell? Mm-hmm. And and what will happen inevitably is a lot of times people will give an answer, but not think wait, did somebody you love or somebody you care for just take their life? Because that's probably the issue behind this question or, um, you know, and, or things of that nature. And so Nathan, talk about the principle, just the real issue, getting to the real issue over the smoke and mirrors. Yeah. uh, When I talk to people about our apologetics ministry here, a lot of times, uh, I'll, they'll pose the, the, the question to me, Hey, what do you, what percentage of people who are asking questions, you know, are there, is their question kind of a, what we're talking about here, a smoke and mirror or a distraction from a deeper issue. And I don't think it's necessarily a hundred percent of the time, because I think there really are people who just have good questions. Um, but, but I would say that like 99.9% of the time, um, people are asking questions, um, at that's, that are rooted out of, um, of pain, frustration, confusion, a lot of things that were, where we as finite human beings that are by nature, constrained to our own senses and ability to interact with the world that God's created are just, we're we're just confused a lot of the times. And, and, and so, uh, 
uh, yeah, it's almost all the time. And so the, the, the role of an apologist, the role for you guys listening right now as Christians, um, and because all of you have an apologetic ministry, um, you may not, you may not write that down as like my ministry is apologetics, but you do. If you're interacting with unbelievers who are asking you any kind of question about God, <laughs> then that's apologetics. So I would just encourage you guys to um, get good at at one, not being overwhelmed by someone's question, because a lot of times, especially people who are ill-equipped, immediately get into a defensive posture. And going back to number one, that's not your job. You know, your job is not to defend all of Christendom in that moment. Your job is to is to listen, to be respectful to someone made in the image of God, and also to train, to get equipped, to be able to uh, ask the right kind of questions to get at the, the actual issue. So, uh, which will go to the, um, some of these, these questions, some of these clarifying questions that actually Greg Kokel talks about in his book tactics, he calls them the Columbo questions. And the first one, if someone asks me uh, a question, um, like, like someone in our uh, keys to effective Bible study a few weeks ago asked, Hey, do y'all read the Bible literally? Um, well that that's a potentially, not just potentially, that is a loaded question. And a lot of times people will, um, or uh, someone to, to bring it down even to uh, more succinctly to what we're talking about. If someone is like, hey, does your does does your God send people to hell, you know, or something like that, um, then most of the time people are trying to back you into a corner to um, uh, to make it to where there is no good response to this. And so asking clarifying questions is really important. The first one is, what do you mean by that? You know, um, what do you mean by God sending people? To hell, like, and I would even emphasize a certain part of the question that you're attempting to clarify, because most of the time, what I've found is that people are, especially in Twitter age, you know, <laughs> people are giving, um, people are given the 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 culture soundbite that their that their entrenched side yeah. has told them to say, so they're not really most of the time really deeply thinking about these these things for themselves. They're just regurgitating something that they saw on Facebook or Twitter or wherever else. So just a simple, what do you mean by that may totally disarm their entire argument because there is not one period. Um, but then if they do um, clarify, then I think you can ask the second question, which is, Hey, how did you come to that conclusion? Now, all of a sudden you're not dealing with someone's assertions anymore. You're asking that person for real evidence. And, and that's where as Christians, we are on really solid ground. Now, most of the time when, when we're interacting with people who are unbelievers, they don't have they either don't have good evidence or they don't, they don't know, even though they could probably tell you what their conclusion is, they don't know how they got there. And so just asking someone that simple question, Hey man, that's really interesting that, that you believe that. Um, how did you come to that conclusion? It could be about anything, not just God seeing people to hell, but, um, anything. Um, how did you come to that conclusion? And then the third one is, Hey man, that's, that's great. Interesting points. Would love to interact with you about those things. Have you ever considered this? You know, I, I would just continue to encourage people. This is where um, your equipping comes into play. It is extremely important that we be equipped to talk about these things because when it does come down to conversations around evidence, having the tools to be able to say, have you ever considered this? So let's take the resurrection, for example. Like, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, dude, he's obviously mythological and he obviously mirrors all these other myths from the ancient world and Jesus is just another one. Okay. That's interesting. How did you come to that conclusion? 
oh, well, uh, I heard it from someone and, and they'll they'll try to employ, you know, uh, an appeal to authority, which is right. kind of their logical uh, tactic in that moment. And it's like, well, that's interesting. We can talk about those things. But have you ever considered that just to play off of, you know, our heart acronym that Jesus was honorably buried and in, in, in a known tomb and that three days later that tomb was empty, the E part of heart. And then he appeared, this is the A part of heart, that he appeared to over 500 people at one time, um, most of whom at the time of that writing were still alive, that there's multiple attestation, there's verifiable evidence. And then that that um, Christianity rose out of Judaism, this one belief system that, you know, out of which we would least expect these people to make that kind of mistake. And then they actually transferred the day they worshiped on from Saturday to Sunday. Like, why did they do that? You know, those are all really good talking points and actual evidence for the resurrection. So just those three questions, I think, can can get to get beyond kind of the um, the emotion of what people are are doing to where now you're actually talking about substantive things. That's great. Yeah, so we have a question from one of our listeners. Thanks, Giselle. So the question was around engaging with people of other faith backgrounds and how to help break some of that cycle of circle circular reasoning you can get into. And so the example given was, hey, a Muslim constantly referring back to the Quran to answer the questions. As far as the Quran goes and, and engaging other belief systems, I mean, I think that there are there, there can be what is known as the circular reasoning where you're giving a defense for the book by using the book. And, and, uh, and I mean, I would say for sure that that's something that probably most people do, which is why coming to the table with substantive evidence to say, this is okay. Yes. I'm supporting. Let's, let's just transfer it to scripture. I'm supporting scripture with scripture, but which which begs the deeper question, which is, well, then why do I think scripture is reliable? And that's um, again, we're on solid footing with a ton of really good actual evidence. And and I think too, you know, uh, what I would gently do with the with the Muslim is just push back on how the Quran even came to be. There's a lot of problematic things about. Well, frankly, not just the Quran. I mean, uh, the Book of Mormon and a bunch of other things where um, one man saw something or had an an independent vision by himself that's not verifiable by anybody else. And and that vision just happened to end with him getting more money and women in power. Well, one, it's it's problematic because um, you're just taking the guy at his word. I think that the really unique thing about Christianity is that all of this stuff was was very public. Right there, Jesus had a very public ministry to uh, to a bunch of people who saw him, who wrote about him. That's what what is known as multiple attestation. That there's there are there are um, multiple people independent of one another who are writing these these things down. Yeah, and I, I would also say if you're at a point where you know you're you're having dialogue like this with a Muslim friend on a repeated basis, then I think one of the things that would be great to do is just then go, hey, why don't we read a book together? You pick one, yeah. I pick one. And I think what's great about Christianity is that we don't have to be fearful of what we're going to find. Um, Nathan and I are both mentored by a guy who would say, hey, just pursue the truth at all costs. And he didn't mean at all costs in terms of like, you know, sell your whole family's land and, you know, pursue, you know, but this idea of if Christianity is true, and if you start exploring other faiths, you're still, you're not, we're not worried about you suddenly going, oh gosh, I think I've discovered that I'm really a Buddhist or I'm really a, a whatever. And so I, I would encourage if you have that type of relationship to then, then to start studying together. 
um, in these areas of reliability. And so um, wh- just a great book, though, for anybody who's trying to get in the mindset of, of the Muslim faith and how to interact is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Koresh. And then um, and then I think just on terms of reliability of the Bible, uh, I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there and um, there's also a ton of stuff that'll tell you it's not reliable, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, reliability, New Testament, Dan Wallace, things like that. And so. And do you guys happen to have one you would recommend for the evidence of the resurrection? Yeah. I mean, um, there's, um, well, <laughs> yeah, yes, but it's like really long. 570 pages long, but, uh, but I would, I would recommend it. I mean, it's N.T. Wright's book is called the resurrection of the son of God. That's kind of a mixture of apologetics, theology proper, like all of those things put together. But it is the it is the book on the resurrection of Jesus. I think on a late I think on a popular level, I would start with probably stuff by Lee Strobel. So he wrote a book called um, The The Case for Christ. And then I think The Case for the Real Jesus is also um, very accessible to the to the, the standard layperson. And especially the way that he writes the case for the real Jesus, he he uh, he's interviewing. Um, I think he interviews people in both books, but he's interviewing people who. And each chapter is kind of a standalone. So here's this question on the resurrection, and here's the solid um, defense for that. Nike, would you add anything? Uh, yeah, I would just also say we did a training day um, almost, I guess, a year ago, yeah. uh, thereabouts, and had just scholars who are in Michael their field Connor. known as the guys um, on these topics. And it was, we have it filmed, it's online. Uh, who do you say that I am was the name of the training day. And Mike Lacona is a leading expert on the resurrection, Dan Wallace, Daryl Bach, Justin Bass, Nathan Wagnott. And so I would highly, highly encourage starting there. Um, because I think they boil down a lot of information into these shorter, I mean, 45 minute long sessions. Uh, but like the thing like heart and things like that, that Nathan talked about, our equipping team has those resources as well. That makes it transferable. And if you if you don't have the time to do a long book with somebody and you're just having an hour long conversation on Starbucks, then we also have those resources to prepare yep. you, you know, to, to be able to have that conversation in that space and time. Yeah, so I'll, I'll plug our core classes right now. So one of the core classes we teach every year is called Answering the Tough Ones. Last year, we covered giving a defense for the resurrection and talked through explanatory, ex- explanatory, explanatory, <laughs> I can't say easy this. for you to say. Explanatory <laughs> uh, scope and power. So uh, that is uh, looking at all the various theories that are out there about the resurrection of Jesus and then showing why the Christian explanation is by far the most reasonable one. So people can find that online as well. It's answering the tough ones. And uh, so right now we're doing keys to effective Bible study. The next one is our theology class, uh, know what you believe and why. And then the one after that is going to be answering the tough ones. So we'll offer it this fall. If you guys want to jump in on that, we'll, we'll cover that same topic this year. That's great. Going back to just um, preventing, addressing the smoke and mirrors and really talking about, I think talking about the resurrection here is a great segue into this next point of mm-hmm. just, uh, there are, there are often times when you find yourself in apologetics conversations that people want to talk about things like whether or not the dinosaurs roam the earth. And that's yeah. the very issue that's keeping them from faith in Christ. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that is a bit of a smoke screen from time to time. Um, and so Nathan, why don't you talk about just what are essentials, convictions, opinions, questions, and then, um, just, 
and if if anything Nate says today piques your interest or or you're thinking, man, I'd love to know more about that, you're in luck because we did a whole webinar a whole on webinar, that two yeah. months ago. And so we really unpacked this of helping what are the things that are true and essential to Christianity. And if somebody's saying, hey, the only reason I can't believe is something out of that middle target, then we would say, then don't believe it. Yep. Believe the middle and be free. And then over time, you know, the Lord will shape your mind and heart. Yeah. So just to summarize that webinar we did a few months ago was uh, in the essential category is is what is kind of C.S. Lewis and before him, G.K. Chesterton, a couple other guys called mere Christianity. And mere Christianity is simply just the, 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 the foundational fundamental beliefs for Christianity that if you deny them, then you just can't be Christian. You don't have to have like an exhaustive knowledge of these or even know even what to call them to be Christian. It's just as you come to learn them, you can't be like, oh, yeah, I don't believe Jesus is God. You know, like that's not then you're not a Christian. That's period. Um, so the on the on the essentials, we would say like Trinity, sin, um, some sort of view on atonement um, for sure, you know, bodily resurrection, um, the some sort of, of resolution um, to, to this whole story that's going on that God's not just going to let it like continue to descend into chaos like he will fix it. Right. And so th those are the things we would consider essential. And then um, the convictions circle, the concentric circle right outside of that are things that we would say, hey, these things are really important, important enough that we might even while I'm not going to call you not a Christian, I'm, I can't necessarily like go to the same church as you kind of thing. And so we would we would say that 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 those things fall in the conviction category. And then opinions are things that you may strongly hold, but you probably should not break fellowship with people over as far as church goes. And then the last category is like, man, who, who knows? <laughs> like I think what's Jesus's favorite animal. Yeah. yeah I think it's totally. pretty obvious it's cats, but <laughs> you know, not for sure about that one. Awesome. I had to tell Nika before we started not to uh, show this Instagram picture of this cat that she's been watching <laughs> all morning. But anyway, uh, we digress. <clears throat> So the questions deal is, I would say the dinosaur one fits into that. Here's, here's the deal on personal apologetics and thinking through this is that there absolutely is an order to the priority of belief, which means if somebody comes at me with a question about hell and they're, they're just saying like, I just can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. Then um, while maybe even some of you listening to this right now might think, well, of course, hell goes into the center. It's essential to Christianity. It's actually not. There are plenty of views about hell that people hold um, that are vastly different from one another. Right. And and it's just not in the center. The only place it shows up in any kind of Christian creed is in the Apostles Creed, which it actually shows up later, um, where it talks about Christ's descent into hell. But it doesn't say anything about you know, God judging people in hell or anything like that. Um, and so what I would, what as a, as an apologist, I'm immediately going, okay, I want to defend mere Christianity first, right? Now, am I saying our belief on hell is unimportant? No, not saying it's that very at all, important. period. So don't throw rocks at me, but I am saying it's secondary. So I would put it in the conviction category. Um, I think it's really important, but it's not in the center and so what I would help that person see is, is to let them know, actually, you need to be dealing not with a God who sends people to hell. You need to be dealing with a God who would incarnate himself as a man and, and come and dwell among us and die for our sins and rise from the dead. That way, you, that's what you need to be dealing with. And to push the conversation in that direction, it's so vitally important 
Um, so there was a guy, of, of, this is probably six months ago, here at Watermark who was, I mean, he came in and was just extremely emotional about, about this very issue, which is why I'm thinking about him as I'm talking right now. And he was just like, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And we gave him a reasonable defense for why, for the existence of hell and and that sort of thing. And maybe that's, we can talk about that in a future webinar, but, but the guy, you know, we talked to them. It was a respectful dialogue for the most part. He was getting um, to the point where he um, kind of was not being respectful anymore. And then he, he walked out and I just felt a tug in my spirit where I was like, I need to, I need to go after that guy. And so I walked after him and helped, I walked him out of the town center and I, I just said, Hey, can I just tell you like, as, as someone who cares for you, that if your belief in hell is the thing that's keeping you from accepting Jesus, then just don't believe in hell. And you could, there was like this shocked look on his face that was like, really? <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, if, if that's the thing that's keeping you from Christ, then just drop it. I mean, that's, it's, it's secondary. Now, internally, I was thinking you need to accept Christ and then you need to get equipped and think <laughs> rightly about scripture. Yeah, sure. Um, but, but getting equipped and thinking rightly about scripture is secondary to that person engaging with the love of God that's found in the cross and the empty tomb. And so all the time we deal with people who are bringing conviction, opinion, and questions and are putting them in the center. And then they're attacking a caricature of Christianity when really, you know, we need to be presenting mere Christianity and then, and then giving, um, uh, giving leeway and giving room for there to be different convictions and opinions and questions without squishing people and burning yeah. them at the stake. And just remembering too, back to when, you know, you, you first are converted and not necessarily you, Nate, but everybody, yep. none of us had a full, complete understanding mm -hmm. of theology. And so, so many times what'll happen is somebody will go, well, they believe all the essentials, but they don't believe X and Y. Yep. And and then them going, so I'm, I'm not sure where they land and going, hey, a lot of doctrine and theology and these ideas are developed over time after accepting yep. Christ as yep. your Lord and Savior. And so if, if you're sitting at home and going, how do you get through the smoke screen? Like, how do you, you know, one of the things I, I like to do if I'm, if I'm in a conversation like this and I see that somebody's just rattling off question after question after question towards me of, of their objections to Christianity is just to finally ask them, hey, look, if I answer all your questions today, yeah. will you believe? Mm. And most of the time the answer is, hey, no. And then it's like, hey, so what is it that's keeping you from believing? And that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. I don't want to talk all these questions like, wow, this is so fun to show off all this knowledge I have. And I'm super enjoying This is just, we're not getting anywhere yeah. to the real issue. And so that's just one of the ways that I try to cut through. If I don't feel like I'm getting there to just go, what is that thing that's keep that you're really, that's burning inside of you that even if I answered all your questions, all your objections, mm -hmm. and you're still sitting here go, yeah, great. But I still don't, I still want to follow Christ. What is that thing? And yeah. sometimes what's interesting is, they don't know. And that's going back to just putting a, a, a rock in their shoe of just, oh, okay, I don't, I don't know what, so what is this anger? What is this frustration? What yeah. is this? Um, and then you get to be pastoral in that moment and yeah. talk yeah. about that. I tell people all the time, our, our apologetics ministry fits under the equipping kind of umbrella and, and it should, but it definitely fits under the pastoral care Absolutely. ministry umbrella as well. I mean, we, we are, we are apologists, but we're pastors and, and, you know, if you have one without the other, then it's insufficient. And so, so kind of another story, this is probably a year and a half, two years ago, we had a woman come into great questions and, um, was, had all the standard objections to Christianity that, that Muslims bring to the table. So the corruption of the new Testament, um, the fact that Jesus was crucified, you know, uh, their belief that Judas was actually the one who was crucified, 
um, obviously things around the resurrection. Uh, just and, and we engaged our questions respectfully. They were the right questions. They were essential questions. And, and I think as we continued to answer our questions, it just, uh, again, you know, one of our team members was like, hey, we've, they did, it said exactly what you just did. Like, hey, we've answered all of your questions. What's keeping you from responding in faith to the love of God, to, to, to Jesus? And uh, the room got real still. <laughs> <laughs> and we just waited. And, and there, there's that thick moment where you're like, this is, the moment's pregnant with something, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, and she just started to weep and, and she was like, well, I'm Muslim. My, my husband is Muslim. I actually think that Christianity has a lot to go for it, but I'm afraid that if I convert that my husband's going to kill me, mm. you know? And it was just a really obvious example of this. Like now all of a sudden, all the smoke and mirrors are gone and you're dealing with the actual issue at hand. And, and so not every conversation is going to go like that. But I think that, you know, for us as apologists um, and, and by apologists, I mean Christian, <laughs> by all, all of us as Christians, we, when we encounter people, we need to be looking past, you know, the, their anger, their frustration, their um, uh, question. And, and really, I, I, I describe to people, I'm like, hey, the, the way I describe the great questions ministry to people is we have a bunch of guys who have uh, disciplined themselves to uh, to and, and equip themselves to be able to reasonably and rationally dis, disarm people's rational arguments so that we can engage them with the love of God. That's great. That is the Great Questions Ministry. It's not just to win an argument. In fact, you know, uh, well, we'll get to that. But yeah. Anyway, that's. Oh, go ahead, Silk. Yeah. So there's a couple questions that have come in that are a little bit more practical in nature and in mm -hmm. specifics. And so when we're looking at this diagram. Um, somebody had asked, hey, if somebody's identifying themselves as a believer, but doesn't believe it's essential to believe in the Trinity or the inherency of Scripture, mm -hmm. how would you respond to that? Yeah. Are those even on the same tier? Yeah, yeah. So I would say for sure on Trinitarianism, yes, absolutely. You have to be a, you have to be Trinitarian to be Christian. That's like to not be Trinitarian is and to still try to be Christian is like saying I want a ham sandwich, but I don't want any ham and I don't want any bread. Right. That's it's just a it's uh, not a ham sandwich. Yeah, exactly. And so there have been people who have made this mistake. I mean, um, Mormons are one of are one of them who deny the, the Trinity and yet still try to be Christian. And yet they're not. We would call them a Christian cult, not the occult. That's different, <laughs> but just a Christian cult that um, it's it's they have a lot of the image of of Christianity, but not the substance of it. And so. As far as inerrancy goes, I'll let Nika talk to that. Yeah, so inerrancy, it's funny. That's the the one that comes up the most that people wonder if it's in the middle or not. And and we'll just, for the sake of time, be brief with it. But again, we've I would highly encourage the webinar. But inerrancy is just not in the inner circle. Um, this this belief. Now, hear me say. We have a very high view of scripture at this church. I personally have a very high view of scripture. I am an inerrantist. But the belief that scripture is true in everything that teaches and in all places is not something you must believe in order mm -hmm. to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and there are people who deeply love Jesus who are not inerrantists, who have places in scripture that they would say, hey, this date may seem off or this this idea may seem off. And, and it's a misunderstanding 
if you don't hold to inerrancy, then then some people go, well, then it follows you can't believe any of it. Right. And this all or nothing conclusion is is really at times unhelpful um, because there are people who go, no, I, I absolutely believe what it teaches about Jesus. I absolutely believe that he died and he rose from the dead. I absolutely believe he was a virgin birth and um, and he's coming back for me and he's Trinitarian and all those things. I just am not sure if, if the census around Quirinius' time is accurate in, in Luke or, or things of that nature. Um, and so that's one of those that's one that we run into a lot that we would just say, hey, that while very important and we would put within the conviction mode and and, and something that pr- perhaps you would break fellowship. And what we mean yep. by break fellowship is, hey, we're probably not going to attend the same church just because we're not on the same page on this, right. um, but not essential. And the ways that you can really narrow down what is essential is one, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Um, there's a song out. I think we sing it every now and then on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. thanks to John Abel. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, and then just... 1 Corinthians 15, going and looking at what what the church from the very beginning has said essential, what is true about, and you'll notice they all revolve around Christ. Who is Christ? What did he do? Who is he? Is he fully God, fully man? Did he really die? Did he really rise from the dead? And is he really coming back? Um, And so that would be an essential. So if somebody came to me and said, I believe everything about Jesus is true. I just don't believe that scripture is inerrant. I'd be like, great, see you in heaven. Um, But if they came to me and said, Hey, I believe uh, scriptures are true, but I just, the way I interpret it, the Holy Spirit's not deity and Jesus isn't deity. I would be looking at them going, Hey, I, I love you, you but you are not a Christian. Yeah. Um, and yeah. have a moment, or I don't know that I'd be that direct, but I would have a moment of just, <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's, let's walk through these what essentials and how that? Christians yeah. have always declared these things to be true. You seem to be outside this camp of, of what we would say is orthodoxy or this this true right teaching about Christianity. So me being that direct is a perfect segue then into principle number four, where you want to be gentle and respect. So I probably wouldn't walk into a conversation and be like, I don't know what you are, but a Christian, you are not. Yeah, you know, that just yeah, right, right. Um, would not be how I'd start most yeah. conversations. And so, Nate, why don't you just talk about briefly and then we'll move on to the most important part, which is Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say that this is extremely important just because. I mean, it, it matters immensely, not just what we say, but how we say it. And, and even the terminology that we use. I mean, we, we live in a culture where, you know, words, um, certain words have a lot of cultural meaning to them, a cultural baggage to them. And so being, you know, being cognizant of like, if I say this, then even though I mean what the word means, the way you're hearing it is totally different. And so just paying attention and being savvy as far as that, but just, but just being gentle, be opening up your home, like inviting people in, getting beyond the, the culture wars to just cultivating a relationship with someone. This sounds crazy, but just be friends with people, (laughs) like take an interest in in their life. I mean, one of the things that's helped me is I'm obviously, well, not obviously, but for those of you who know me, I'm a really passionate person. I get excited about things. And one of the things that's helpful is to detach emotion from idea. And that there are times that what we believe, we sometimes will go, that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. So when you disagree with something I believe, yeah. then you, you're, you don't like me yeah, or it's personal. My identity yeah. is, is yeah. in these, these beliefs. And right. so, um, to be able to separate, to go, hey, we fundamentally disagree on this issue, but we love college football. And mm-hmm. and let's mm-hmm. be real, I spend way more time on Saturday talking about college football than I do about, you know, whatever yeah, this fundamental disagreement point. is on on inerrancy or whatever it is. And so being able to, to separate ideas from person allows you to then, I think, engage with people in a way that like, we all have people we disagree with. We don't have to not 
not grab dinner with them or not hang out with them on a yeah, Friday night. Yeah, you find you find common ground. Yeah. That's kind of the principle on that. And and I think that it, it goes a long way just because it is, so, I've already mentioned this before today, but it's, it's so rare today. I mean, it, yeah. it literally is like, if you're just respectful and calm and take a personal interest in someone instead of attacking and killing their idea, then that's like a cool drink of water on a hot day yeah. um, in, in this cultural environment. Yeah. yeah, I disagree with Nate all the time because he's just wrong a lot. And <laughs> we're still friends. So uh, Somehow. I'll wrap up. We'll wrap up five and six together because they're both talking about Christ. But yeah. one of the ways I like to talk about, you know, sort of Nate, Nate is he's obviously very gifted in apologetics. He leads our ministry here. And so when we talk about apologetics, the content, I think, of them, you know, if you're going to use a tool of or in the metaphor of a toolbox, you know, Nathan's got the tricked out garage with all the tools and the table saw and, and the routers and all the gadgets, whatever. And then you walk into my garage and there's like an empty toolbox with a thing of duct tape. Okay. And by comparison, um, but that duct tape will get the job done for this one reason and one reason only. And again, I might have to wrap some duct tape around it and then eventually call the plumber, but it'll stop the leak for now. And, mm -hmm. and here's the duct tape that I use. Everything goes back to Jesus. And so what I mean by this is, you know, we'll have a conversation and somebody go, you don't really believe that a man was swallowed by a whale. You don't really believe that a, a donkey talked. You don't really believe whatever. And um, while I can engage in that, Nate could do a better job of it. But both of us are going to do the same thing, which is why my, my duct tape helps me out a lot. Is I just look at them and go, hey, let me ask you something. 2,000 years ago, did he rise from the dead or not? And if he did, then it's not that crazy to think that a guy survived in the belly of a whale. And if they say, no, no, I don't believe that he did, then who cares about the donkey and the that I want to now talk about Jesus. What is keeping me from believing that he rose from the dead? And so that's my 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 duct tape methodology of getting conversations back to what is essential and going, hey, how do we bring everything back to the cross, everything back to the resurrection? So, Nate, why don't you talk about five and six? Yeah, yeah. I would just say that I don't know is a great answer to a lot of questions that people will probably get asked for a couple of reasons. One, it's honest, right? So don't pull stuff just out of thin air. Don't make stuff up. You, It's perfectly fine. And you actually should say, I don't know if you don't know. But here's the point, you've already mentioned this before, Nika, but it, it's it, that is an opportunity to engage more deeply into that relationship. Because it would go something like this. Hey, what about this? What about dinosaurs? Man, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. But you know what? If you're interested in that, I'd love to, I'd love to read a book with you on that topic. I'd love to talk about this. Let's, let's do this together. Right now, all of a sudden you've created that you've created relational trust. You've created that and, and then actually follow through with it. So don't just say it yeah. and then, and, you know, and then not do it. Um, but, but that kind of stuff is really important. And, and because over time, what you can do is to say, I don't know. And then to say, but what I do know is this and, and to continually push that conversation back to the heart of Christianity, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. I know Blake, uh, one of the guys we work with, just said, man, the question is, who is Jesus and what's he doing on the cross? Like, that is it. That's it. Look, there we do believe there's an enemy. Um, we believe the enemy is active. We believe the enemy is actively deceiving people. And we'll actively keep them in those peripheral areas just to avoid people dealing with the center, which is who is Jesus? Why is he on the cross? And is the tomb empty? And so it's our job as Christians, as Christian apologists, to push people to that because, frankly, too, a lot of the questions, a lot of the answers that we would give that we believe are right don't make a whole lot of sense to people who have not embraced the resurrection of Jesus. 
So it's, it's not even possible to substantively connect those people to that until they deal with those central questions. And then lastly, on, on that sixth point, continually falling back into Christ, I found this moan life. I love, uh, well, one, I love C.S. Lewis, <laughs> but then. Who doesn't? Uh, yeah, right. But I, I'm just going to read this. If, if it's on your screen, you're reading along with me. Um, but he just says this. I found that nothing is more dangerous to one's faith than the work of an apologist. No doctrine of that faith seems to me so spectral, so unreal as the one that I have just successfully defended in a public debate. For a moment, you see. It has seemed to rest on oneself. As a result, when you go away from that debate, it seems no stronger than that weak pillar. That is why we apologists take our lives in our hands and can be saved only by falling back continually from the web of our own arguments as from our intellectual counters into the reality, from Christian apologetics into Christ himself. That also is why we need one another's continual help. And there's the Latin phrase, oremos pro invicum, let's pray for one another. And that is, um, you know, we kind of uh, got into this when we talked about the existence of the enemy and the fact that that we do have an opponent who is uh, who is actively trying mm-hmm. to counter the truth of the gospel. And our uh, our weapons, our our power, does not come from some kind of self conjured thing that we can stir up within ourselves. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the most effective thing that you can do as a Christian um, to employ that is to walk in the spirit, to continually fall back into a dependence on Christ. This is not some ethereal thing that you think about that's like way out there. It's concrete. It's real. It's 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 uh, it, it actually shapes and forms the reality that we live in. And so um, I, I would just encourage people as you do personal apologetics, pray, pray a lot, um, spend a lot of time with Jesus and then just just follow his lead. Amen. Amen. Hard to top that. When this guy gets talking about Jesus. I get out the pen and paper and start taking notes. So, <laughs> Well, friends, thanks for tuning in today. Um, Sylvia, I think, still wrapping up a couple of questions that she's engaging with you guys. Um, it's been a lot of fun for us and hopefully same for you. And uh, we'll do the same webinar. Well, not this one, but we'll do the webinar again next month. And so I think we're going to tackle like some interpretive issues. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's time for some Bible study. Yep. Yeah. And so tune in then. Um, and then, of course, when you guys log out of this, you're going to get a survey and we really value your feedback. Um, truly. I mean, we it, from the smallest details to, to the big details of it's the way we're going to continue to get better and excel still more in this endeavor. Nate, anything you'd add to that, Rafa? Up. No, man. Thanks for listening in. If, if there's any way we can serve you, like, like Nika said, email us at greatquestions at watermark.org. And, um, and happy we, Father's Day yeah, to all the fathers love, out there. We'd love to do that. Yeah. All right, guys. Y'all have a great day.